0: giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. HHS officially released the final rule on fixing the ACA's family glitch in the Federal Register on Wednesday, October 13th. That's right. The family glitch final rule is finally here. Here to discuss the family glitch, the proposed rule, and what, if anything, has changed since its finalization, NHU's opinion on all of this, and where we go from here, is NHU's Marcy Buckner. So, Marcy, fixing the family glitch has been a top priority for NHU since the existence of the family glitch was first discovered. For those who are still unaware, can you briefly summarize the issue of the family glitch and why it's such a hot topic?
1: So the family glitch came about because of specific wording in the ACA and subsequent regulations, which define what affordability is, not based on self-only coverage, but based on coverage offered by an employer to the employee spouse, not what offer of coverage is offered then to spouse's independence of the employer. So I'm going to use favorite examples, which is the Brady Bunch to explain this. So prior to the final rule, the family glitch came about because let's say Mike, the husband, is employed by his architecture firm and they offer Mike, the employee, employer-sponsored coverage, which meets the affordability calculation and is not more than 9.5% of his income. However, the employer, it offers coverage to the spouse and dependents, Carol and the kids, but they don't provide any contribution towards that coverage. If Carol and the kids try then to go to the exchange and get a tax credit, They won't be able to because, under the family glitch, the affordability is based on the employee's offer of coverage from the employer. And in this scenario, Mike has an affordable offer of coverage as the employee on the employer plan. And that then would extend to say that Carol and the kids had an affordable offer of coverage. And I'm kind of using that in quotes, even though the employer is not contributing anything towards that coverage for Carol and the kids. So you can see how this could create situations where, because that employee has an affordable offer of coverage from the employer, it could block spouses and dependents from going into the exchange and potentially getting a premium tax credit, depending on what the family income is, which could greatly benefit some families where the employer contribution towards the spouse independence may not be very much and could end up being very costly for the employee to be able to put the spouse's independence on the employer-sponsored plan.
0: So how would this rule fix the family glitch?
1: So this rule seeks to change the rules and redefine who they look at when they're determining affordable offer of coverage. So again, using my Brady Bunch example, instead of looking to Mike and seeing whether he has an affordable offer of coverage from his employer as the employee, it extends and looks to the spouse's independence. So if that employer contribution towards the spouse's independence, if it's more than 9.5% of their family income, then Carol and the kids are no longer having that affordable offer of coverage because once again, we're not looking at it as defined by the employee and what the employer is offering the employee. We're shifting the definition. So we're actually looking at the spouse independence and how much that offer of coverage is. So now if Carol and the kids, if that employer contribution towards their coverage makes it so going on to the employer-sponsored plan would be more than 9.5% of their household income, they could now decide not to take that employer-sponsored coverage and instead go to the exchange and potentially get a premium tax credit based on their family income.
0: This rule was initially proposed back in April. This week, they released the final version of this regulation. So were there any significant deviations from the proposed rule?
1: There really weren't. Um, Much of the final rule is the same as what we saw in the proposed rule. They go through several pages in the final rule, answering questions from commenters or just responding to specific comments. There were a lot of commenters that were concerned about the impact on employer-sponsored plans and the employer mandate the IRS goes to great lengths to make sure that they are confirming that nothing has changed with the employer mandate. This does not change anything there. This is really specifically looking at the individual market. They also go into detail about the fact that they don't feel as though this is going to have a large impact on the employer-sponsored market. Many commenters, including NEHU, pointed out that this change in the rule could lead spouses and dependents to leave employer-sponsored plans and potentially leave employers with issues of of meeting their participation requirements and and other things. But the IRS does state that they feel like this would be a very small percentage, that there wouldn't be a lot of people that decide to leave employer-sponsored coverage and go to an individual plan on the exchange. So once again, they're saying that they don't think that this is going to have a large impact on employers. One piece that is different, and this is a result of NEHU comments, we commented that we were concerned about non-calendar year Section 125 or cafeteria plans and the way that they could be treated. Because if they're non-calendar years, then that plan is ending potentially mid-year and doesn't line up with open enrollment on the exchanges. So we were concerned about spouses and dependents that may want to leave an employer-sponsored plan and go onto the exchange and get a premium tax credit and the way that this could potentially prevent them from being able to do that. So what the IRS did is... Not only did they respond to that issue that we commented about in the final rule, but they then released a subsequent notice, Notice 202241. 41 that basically allows for spouses' independence to disenroll from a uh, Section 125 non-calendar year plan and have a special enrollment period to be able to go on to the exchange and receive a premium tax credit. So we did impact rulemaking there on making sure that was very clear and that. Being in a non-calendar year plan would not bar spouses' independence from being able to participate in going onto the exchange and getting a tax credit under this new change with the family glitch.
0: Now, one of the most pressing questions that I'm sure folks listening have, will this regulation be implemented in time for the upcoming open enrollment period?
1: Yes. So as we have kind of mentioned before, we were all really on the edge of our seats waiting for this to come out as we saw the calendar tick by and get closer and closer to open enrollment on the exchanges, which begins November 1st. And so as we got into October, getting a little nervous that we would even see this final rule before open enrollment began. And of course, just by the skin of our teeth, we're we're getting it before OEP starts. But there's going to be a lot more to come. Throughout the comments, they mentioned, the IRS mentions working with HHS and the Department of Labor to put out more resources for individuals and potentially employers to educate them on this change for the family glitch. Um, That's also something that we requested in our comments. So it was good to see that they responded to that and realized the need for putting some of these resources out. They also state that HHS is making changes to their enrollment forms and getting ready to have some updates on their website to provide more information and exactly how and independents should be looking at making the determination to either stay on an employer's plan or go into the exchange and potentially receive a tax credit. They do also note a lot of the different concerns that we raised amongst other commenters about what they're calling split families. And if an employee that has that employer-sponsored coverage stays on the employer's plan, because again, if they have an affordable offer of coverage... They can waive that coverage and go to the exchange with the rest of the family, but that employee would not be able to receive a subsidy because they do have an affordable offer of coverage from the employer. So they're looking at ways that because of that. The employee may decide to stay on the employer plan, and the rest of the family may decide to go onto the exchange and get a subsidy, so split families, and ways for HHS to have on their website to explain what that means with potential for split deductibles, split co-pays, and trying to meet those requirements, but to different plans. So they are putting together, like I said, more resources on that, even though we are hurtling towards open enrollment in just a couple of days and that's something we we also noted and did respond to in our comments was the fact that when you know we were in April and got this proposed rule even that seems like a tight time frame for this to to go into place before open enrollment of this year and then getting a final rule just a couple of weeks before open enrollment starts we did note that we believe there should be A delay of one year for this to go into effect for plan year 2024 instead of plan year 2023, just given the timeline of the proposed rule and potential final rule, but then also with at the time when we commented having uncertainty as to whether the public emergency was going to end and whether we would see the unwinding of Medicaid, which is potentially going to be a huge shift in folks that are on Medicaid that went on during the pandemic, and because of the special rules, they will stay on Medicaid until the end of the public health emergency. There were projections earlier this year that the public health emergency would end this fall. So when we commented, we were concerned that that unwinding and those folks getting off of Medicaid and potentially onto individual plans and onto the exchange could be happening at the same time as this, we also commented that because of, again, the, remember the time frame for when we were submitting these comments, there had not yet been the extension of the American Rescue Plan Act subsidies, so we were potentially also moving into an open enrollment period with that uncertainty as to whether or what level the subsidies would be offered at going into open enrollment. That, of course, those subsidies were extended in the Inflation Reduction Act through 2025, no longer a concern but definitely a concern at the time of our comments. And they, they did address that and felt that the benefits of adding more people onto exchange coverage and potentially providing an increase in covered lives outweighed any difficulties that could potentially have happened the, the timeline because of those two issues that we pointed out in our comments.
0: So as you mentioned, HHS considered some of our comments to the proposed rule. So overall, how does NAHU feel about the final rule that was released this week?
1: Well, I don't think that we expected much change. That's what we, we've we seen a lot from this administration and, and administrations in the past. It's not unusual, but we are happy to see that they responded to so many of our comments. There were also sections where we commented about our concern of the impact on, on the insurance market overall um, and the shift that could potentially happen with folks on employer-sponsored coverage going to the individual market and the fact that these are oftentimes different... Different risk populations and whether that would have an impact on the insurance markets overall. And they commented that they didn't feel like it was going to be a significant impact. So we did get some comments there, but we also were mentioned several times in the comments leading up to the final rule. And there is a, a huge emphasis on using health insurance agents and brokers To make a decision about what plan is right for you and enrollment in the marketplace. So it was really good to see the confidence level that they have in health insurance agents and brokers. They mentioned assisters and others, but oftentimes when we see these rules come out, when they're specifically talking about exchange enrollment, they list assisters and that's just kind of how they, they word it. And they don't List out that there are differences between health insurance agents and brokers and navigators and other type of in person assisters. So it was really great for us to see health insurance agents and brokers specifically listed out and listed at the beginning of that list of folks that can assist in enrollment. The comments also highlight that over 50% of enrollments in the exchange and over the past several years have been done by health insurance agents, and brokers. So a good recognition for us and all that you all do in all of the markets.
0: As we discussed the last time we talked about the family glitch proposed rule, the idea of fixing the family glitch through regulation rather than legislation, we discussed that it might hit some legal snags. Have we heard of any entities filing suit against the administration that might impact implementation
1: There haven't been any filings yet, Dan, but there is the potential that entities that were interested in doing so were waiting for the final rule to go into place so that they would have standing. And with that analysis, they may even have to wait until 2023 for the plan year to begin and for folks to receive subsidies under the final rule for, you know, there to be quote unquote harm. But it's not necessarily the way that the premium tax credits will be distributed or the fact that they're shifting the definition and what entity is the the measure of receiving affordable coverage. And the shifting of it from the employee spouse self coverage only to actually looking at the the family, but the issue is potentially the way in which the rule was changed and there are a lot of entities and they submitted comments and the IRS responded to these in the final rule. uh, really the IRS repeatedly saying that, you know, they don't think that this is an issue, but of course they're going to say that because they put the rule together and they wouldn't have proposed it if they thought that it was a violation of law. But there are some that believe that because that self-only coverage determination was defined in statute from Congress and then reiterated in subsequent regulations through agencies, there are some that believe that the rule could only be changed through statute, and through an action of Congress, and that agencies don't have the ability to change this rule on their own without an action of Congress. So that would be the crux of the issue. But like I said, we haven't seen any filings yet. It may be because they're, they're waiting for this to actually go into place before they can challenge.
0: If folks are interested in learning more about the family glitch final rule, how can they learn more?
1: Well, Dan, they can join us next week on October 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern time for our Compliance Corner webinar on the Family Glitch final rule. October 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern. NEHU members will be getting an email for registration, but you can also find it in the Washington Update and at NEHU.org.
0: It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So Marcy, who are we toasting to this week?
1: This week, we are toasting to Chris Hartman, NEHU's Vice President of Congressional Affairs. After over nine years with us here at NEHU, he is moving on further into the insurance world to work with a carrier. We are grateful for all of the work that Chris has done with us here at NEHU, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Cheers! Cheers.
0: Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts, or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.